not on. Just kidding. Do I just start over? <laughs> we, have to re- we have to start over for the recording. Pretend you didn't hear any of that. Okay, start from the beginning. Most Americans, according to surveys and people in general, believe that a thing called heaven exists. That heaven is a place that good people go that after they live as a, as a reward for living the right life, right? The good life. And heaven, most people think, is, is, it's like a utopia. It's a, basically a fancy word for a place where only good things happen, right? Everything is great, pleasant, nice, put all together, and everything fits exactly where it is. Uh, utopia or heaven is a place, a void, like void of bad things, a place without evil, right? And of course, if you're a terrible person who's lived a terrible life, most people believe that they, that you and I, if we are good people in heaven, will not find those terrible people in heaven because they weren't good and therefore they don't end up in the good place, okay? This thought is basically so widely prevalent that they even created an NBC primetime TV show called The Good Place, which is not even that creative of a title, if we're being honest. So most people in America, most people in the world agree that we all, depending on whatever it is that you believe about what happens here, that in the end we want to be in heaven. That it's better than anything else that we know here on earth. But I really need to ask a question that I think is important. Do you and I, or do people really know what heaven is like? Do we actually understand where it is that we all say we want to go? Because if we don't know what heaven is actually like, why are we so eager and excited to get there? Is it really a place y'all and I, like you and I, want to end up? Now before you think like, Pastor, you've asked some crazy things before, but this one might take the cake. You might have done lost your mind. I see why we pray for you in the morning today. Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven. But again, I ask you, if you don't know what heaven is like, can you be really sure you want to go? Because the truth of the matter is this. We can know what heaven is like. Not completely, but enough to know and therefore decide if we want to be there. And two, based on what we can know and find out about heaven... I think there's a distinct possibility that you and I might not actually want to end up there for eternity. It's kind of like travel destinations, okay? If you've never been to some place, you kind of look it up. You gather what people say. You ask other people, hey, have you been here? So-and-so, have you been there? Yada, 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 right? And some of you might be like, oh, yeah, that's the place you want to go. But after finding out what it's really all about, you may or may not decide that it's for you. For instance, everyone thinks that they want to go to Hawaii and go to a resort and do the thing. I actually don't really want to. That's not my thing. I don't like sitting in a hotel and having to go downstairs and be like, oh, today I'm going to go snorkeling. That's kind of boring. Today I'm going to go eat here. No, I'd rather go to a place like Thailand and go around the city streets and eat and taste all the different things and watch all the people do their crazy things and the things that they do in a normal life. I'd actually rather go to Haiti and go spend a week there rather than at a resort in Hawaii. But I wouldn't really know until I knew what it was about. And if I, mo- if I asked most of you, hey, y'all should go vacation in Haiti, you'd be like, Pastor, you crazy. But there are some beautiful places in Haiti that you might actually want to vacation at. No lie. So for the next three weeks, all the way up through Palm Sunday, we're going to dig into the final two chapters of Revelation to discover Essentially, what is heaven really like? And ask ourselves, do we really want to end up there? 
And this is a legit question for all of you because if heaven is not a place you want to be, then all this you might as well throw away and never come back because it ain't worth it. Right? Because Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday is a celebration of Jesus that rides into Jerusalem, eventually to be crucified and resurrect three days later. Jesus did all of that to secure for us an eternity. And I think it's only fitting and proper and maybe responsible for us to find out what that eternity is like and see if it's actually something we want and wish for. So here's the plan for the next three weeks. Let me just outline it for you. Today, we're going to do a bit of myth-busting, as in we're going to look at some things that most people believe about heaven and actually ask, is that really true? The next week, having dispelled some of these myths, we're going to actually learn a bit more about what heaven is like through what John tells us here in Revelation 21 and 22. And then last Sunday, the third Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, we're going to tackle the question, so knowing what we know, knowing what heaven is not like and knowing what it is like, do we really want to be there? Do we want to spend eternity in heaven? We asked it last week, do we really want... Are we even going to care when God looks at us in the final judgment and goes, why should I let you in to enjoy eternity with me? Are we really going to even want to be there? Okay, So let's read a bit of the scripture, Revelation 21. If you have your Bible, open it. If not, it's going to be on the screen. going to be on the screen. We'll read some parts. Patrick, I apologize. I didn't give you like some of the parts I'm going to skip. Try to stay with me. Um, but we're going to read not all of it, just sections I think will be helpful to us today. Okay, Revelation chapter 21 to Revelation chapter 22, verses 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Then he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the ones who thirst from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues, came and said, spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We're going to skip to chapter 22 now. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. There will be no longer any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no longer any night, and they will not have need of light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and jump right into the scripture. Father, would you show us? Spirit, would you help us to listen of the eternity that you have secured for us through your death and your resurrection? And all of it, I pray, will spur us on to say, man, I want that. God, I want you. 
And we've asked that question in you before, that what if heaven, this great place that we'll learn about, didn't have Jesus we really want? I pray that we would all be able to declare with all of our hearts, God, I want eternity with you in the place where you reign. And I pray that you would indeed speak in this place clearly, convict our hearts of, the what, of what you want us to be convicted of. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here are the four myths. I apologize, I don't have a PowerPoint ready for you, but here are the four myths. Let me just go over them, and then we'll go through them one by one. Number one, heaven isn't actually heaven. That's myth number one, okay? Heaven isn't actually just heaven. Number two, we don't actually go to heaven. That's myth number two. We don't go to heaven. Three, heaven is like earth, but so not like earth all at the same time. Then four, heaven actually isn't the future. Okay? Cool? Let's go to them one by one. Four myths that we're going to debunk about heaven today. First, heaven isn't actually just heaven. Almost everyone I know says something like, man, I can't wait to go to heaven. Man, I can't wait for heaven because heaven is like a place that's going to be so amazing. The place of the future amongst language and everyone is always just called heaven. But what if, literally, but what if we've been calling it the wrong thing the whole time? What if it's not heaven? Check it. It says it. Oh, I just used something that Daniel always says. I've been listening to him speak for the last uh, two days. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Clearly, there's a first heaven and a first earth, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it means two things. One, heaven and earth go together. They're not separate. No matter what you believe, no matter what someone taught you, they are not separate. They're intertwined, they're interlocked, and they're intersecting all the time. There is no earth without a heaven, and there's no heaven without an earth. Both are created together, which means then heaven and earth are one or two parts of one big reality. And so what happens on one affects the other. What happens on earth impacts heaven, and what happens on uh, heaven impacts earth. So for instance, when Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning, earth was affected. We have to work for stuff like food now, rather than it just growing in the garden like it used to. Unfortunately, for all the women out here and for the mothers, childbearing is really, really painful, and it will be. That's one of the things that happened after they sinned, etc. There are others too. But heaven was also affected by Adam and Eve's sin. It no longer looked the way it was meant to. People, Adam and Eve and others, didn't frolic in the garden the way they were meant to. And secondly, as we learned earlier in Revelation chapter 12, a cosmic war broke out because of their sin. Dragon, the enemy, was thrown down on earth and is wreaking havoc until Jesus comes again. It's why in Revelation 12, 7, it says there was a war in heaven. Okay? Heaven and earth, they go together. Second, heaven, or the first heaven, maybe we should call it, isn't actually where we want to be. Did you catch that? So from this moment on, you should never say, man, I want to go to heaven, because that's incorrect. Okay? You should be saying, man, I want to be or I can't wait for the new heaven and the new earth. And you're probably like, Pastor, that is way too long, first of all. It's too many words. It won't fit on my status updates. No one's going to read it because it's too long. 
Secondly, it's really trivial, like everybody will get it if I just say heaven. But before you dismiss it, it says in Revelation 21 that the first earth and the first heaven will pass away. Which means now, which, okay, which means that the heaven that exists right now, that we refer to heaven all the time, isn't actually eternal. It's not going to be around forever, which means it actually isn't the perfect bliss that we all think it is. It isn't actually where we want to end up. It's why Paul says in Ephesians that there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't want to be, okay, I do not want to spend eternity in a place where evil forces are at war with the forces of good. I don't want to be there. Would you? It means then that creation, as great as or good as God declared it was in the beginning, also isn't eternal. Only God is eternal. And somehow, we, Christians, are granted the privilege of being in eternity with him. God is eternal. He grants eternity. But the things he creates, even heaven and earth, are not eternal until he grants it. That's number one. Heaven isn't just heaven. Sorry if I bursted your bubble. Myth number two, then. If heaven isn't just heaven, it means then that we're, and, and the first heaven and the first earth are going to pass away. We're not actually going anywhere. We're not going to heaven. Because the new heaven and the new earth, it says, comes to us. It says in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Did you see that? It almost sounds like an oxymoron or like a contradiction. The new heaven and the new earth come down out of the first heaven. Which is why I'm saying we're not going anywhere. It's coming to us. And again, you might be like, Pastor, that's just really technical. Don't nobody have no time for the technicalities. But this is really important. Really, it is. Because if we're not going to a heaven, then where you want to be, you can't get to. Because it hasn't come to us yet. Does that make sense? Let's say you want to go to Hawaii. Sorry if I'm bashing on Hawaii. I'm sure it's great. I bet you once I go, I'll change my mind. But let's say you really want to go. You can go because it exists. It's there. But we can't actually go to heaven or even want to go to heaven because it's going to pass away, which means you can't go there. And if the new heaven is where we want to be and it hasn't come yet, then you can't get to it. So stop trying to go to heaven is what I'm trying to say. Where we are now and the heavens all around us is going to pass away. It's going to be gone. And what, comes, what is coming down or what God is bringing down is a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And that's the key phrase, from God. To say that the new heaven and new earth are coming from God means that the first, that the new heaven and the new earth doesn't like evolve from this one. What God is bringing down then is totally brand new. It's never existed before. We ain't never seen it before. And all this makes sense because if you read the Bible, God loves to do things like to bring new things that you ain't never seen before. Things like a baby born of a virgin. Ain't nobody seen that before or ever seen it ever since. Or like a carpenter raised from the grave. Again, we haven't seen that before. A new heaven and a new earth is just like God to bring something you ain't never seen before. It's something new it isn't a refurbished version of this first earth and first heaven. All of it is new coming down, which means then 
we then ought to take care of this one. Now you might be like, wait, 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 wait. That don't make no sense. If all this is going to pass away and God is going to bring something new, why should I care about this one that is going to go away? Right? If this is not going to last, then what's the point of caring for it? It's all going to be trash anyway, so I might as well just trash it better or faster. Well, before you think that way, you have to consider two things. One, or three things, sorry. One, I don't know how long it's going to be until the new heaven and new earth will come. It comes when Jesus comes again with the second resurrection, as we've learned, after we stand before the judge he has, or God asks us, why should I let you in? It's kind of like this. Is Brian Kim here? Maybe he's not here. I'll, I'll talk about him anyway. Brian just got a new car. It's really nice. It's a Kia Optima, right? Most likely, right, he's not going to get a new one for at least like six, seven, eight years. Most likely, right? Now, if he's not going to get a new one for six or seven years, it means that that one is not going to last forever and he's going to get a new one. But if we thought the way that we thought about most things and Brian thought, you know what, this car ain't going, this is only going to last me five years, I'm going to trash it now. That would make no sense. Because most likely the car is going to break down and he's not going to have a car for four years. And you have to wait until the six or seven year mark. Does that make sense? If you don't know when it's going to come, you can't just trash the thing that you're in. Because that wouldn't make any sense. You have to take care of it from the beginning. Secondly, then, you have to also understand that creation is a gift from God, like our bodies. You take care of it the best you can. If you think this body ain't going to last, I'm just going to trash it from the get-go, well, then you're going to live a really terrible life because your body's going to be trashed from the get-go. You don't want to do that. You want to take care of it because it's been given to you so that it's good and it lasts as long as it needs to last. And thirdly, the reason why we need to care for this earth, even though it's going to pass away, is because God commands us to do so, to rule over it, to have dominion, to take care of it, so we do. God is bringing something totally new down to us for us to enjoy but we're not trying to leave this place because when the new one comes, we will enter. Okay? So heaven isn't just heaven. We're not actually going to heaven. And then third, the new heaven and the new earth is like the first or the regular heaven and the regular earth, but it's not at all the same at the same time. And so you might be thinking like, Pastor, now you're contradicting yourself. You do this all the time and it's mostly confusing most of the time, but now you've really done it. I thought you just said that whatever's coming is brand new, we ain't never seen before. That it's not evolving from this one, it isn't a refurbished version of this one. Doesn't it mean that then this new heaven is a completely different thing that we won't recognize? Well, there's a phrase that I learned in Orlando when I went in, in the wintertime. Okay, I'll teach it to you. It's called same, same, but different, but still same. Okay, it comes from a ridiculous movie, I won't mention what, what movie it comes from, but it's basically this. It's basically suggesting that, yeah, they're the same, but not quite the same, but still kind of the same. Okay, let me explain. Okay? Jesus uses symbols and terminology from the first creation to describe the new things. He says the new heaven and new earth will have things like gates and walls and streets and trees and rivers and jewels and kings who bring the merchandise, things like that. Okay? And as we'll discover more next week, the new heaven and the new earth is very earthy, as in it's very, like, creaturely. Like something kind of like earth, right? It's not like some, like we're, like, we're not floating around in these things that we don't recognize, right? We have bodies. And the reason why this is the case is because if eternity was something completely different, completely new, 
with things that we would never even begin to know how to comprehend, then there's no way that our human minds would be able to wrap our minds around what it would be, and then we would go, I have no idea what in the world that's going to be like. I don't want nothing to do with that. So that we would then want to be where God is for eternity, God uses things that we can understand. For instance, who knows how to speak Sanskrit in here? Nobody. Philip, you do? Oh, bro, I'm going to get lessons from you. Sanskrit, from my understanding, don't look nothing like the languages that I speak. Right? Most of the time when I see Sanskrit somewhere, I just go, mm, I just dismiss it. But who knows how to speak Spanish in here? Chris, you do? A little, un poquito. Spanish three, yo, what's up? Right? But the difference between Sanskrit and Spanish, right, is that Sanskrit is like this completely foreign thing that you don't have any idea what it says. It's got all these lines and curves and dots and things. I don't want to make any sense of it. But Spanish uses uh, letters that we're familiar with. So I gave you a sentence in Spanish, you'd be able to read it. You'd butcher it because your, your accent is probably terrible. You'd probably say, yo soy un hombre. But you can at least read it, yo soy hombre. Hombre, hombre. I'm probably wrong. I don't speak Spanish, clearly. The point is, you, because you understand it, will be like, you know what? I think I can handle Spanish a little bit, maybe. At least I can get somewhere, at least I kind of sound it out, right? But with something completely, utterly different, it's not the case. So God uses, Jesus uses symbols and things that we can wrap our minds around so we can be like, oh, I can kind of picture what that new place is going to be like. It's going to have gates and walls and things that I understand. But at the same time, it's really different. Like, really, really different. Like, nothing we've ever seen, smelled, touched, tasted within this first creation. It's why, as I've been saying, Jesus uses symbols, right? Symbols. Remember in the beginning, John says, this is like this, it's like that. And the reason why he uses that word like a lot isn't because he speaks like someone from our generation. It's because he can't quite describe what it is. It's his best attempt to be like, like, like it's like, like, like that. And so Jesus is using symbols for us to be able to understand it, but it's also so different. Like he says, it's a place without pain. Can you imagine, like for real, can you imagine a place without pain? Like, can you do it? It don't make no sense to me. Pain is such a thing that we all have and we all know, but it's, God says there's going to be a place with no pain. Like, I get pain, and I get what no pain is, but a place without any pain, that I don't get, right? Same, same, but different. Fundamentally, I don't have an idea because it's completely foreign and new to me. It's like, same thing, a place without tears or hurt. Can you imagine a place without tears? No matter how, you know, macho you think you are, everybody cries. But can you imagine a world where you don't cry? No, I, I, I tried. It's really hard. I can't imagine what it's like. Like I said, the new creation isn't a refurbishing or just a renewal of this one. It's totally new. It's only something that's existed in the mind of God and his heart. 
And before you go, okay, now, Pastor, now you're like, now you're really starting to lose me because I thought I was, I was with you, but now you're just, just starting to lose me altogether. Before you think that, just God has given us a picture of this in Scripture, and it's called the resurrection, okay? Jesus is God, but he's fully human. He's one of us. He bleeds like us. He hurts like us. He sleeps like us. He's tired like us, things like that. He clearly was crucified, nailed to a cross, and he died. He breathed his last. He was buried in a grave. He was pronounced dead. His heart was not beating anymore. He was physically dead, like gone, dead, dead, really dead. And therefore, he was buried. I get all that. I've been to plenty of funerals. I was there when my grandmother was buried when I was in eighth grade. I've seen it happen. I understand it. Maybe you've understood it. Maybe you've seen it. But three days later, he resurrected. Now, I think I kind of get that maybe, but it says that he resurrected in his own body, which means that he had the scars, the holes, he could eat. It was same, same, but different. Why? Because he could walk through doors, he could disappear and reappear in a moment's notice without saying anything. Somehow Jesus was still Jesus, looked like Jesus, smelled like Jesus, acted like Jesus, even had holes like Jesus, but he was so different because he could do things like walk through a door without opening it. Same, same, but different. But his ascended body will still be a body. When he comes again, he will have a body. I think it will look like the one, but again, it will be so different because it won't be anything quite like what we know. Same, same, but different, and yet still same. Eugene Peterson says, the vision of heaven is not the promise of anything other than what we have already received by faith. It does, though, promise much more, namely, that it's completed. Heaven is as actual as earth. The new creation, like the first creation, is way more and completely new from the first so that we can't describe or imagine it well, but it yet somehow is still like what we know. Fourth myth. We're almost done. Heaven, then, isn't actually the future. Let's put it all together now, the three myths that we've debunked. Heaven isn't just heaven. It's heaven and the earth, and therefore it's not just heaven. It's the new heaven and the new earth. And because God's bringing it down, we're not actually going there. And the way that Jesus describes it, or John describes it, and the what he saw, it's similar but not similar. It's same but not same, totally different. Which means that if you put it all together, it means, according to Revelation, I think, that what we are waiting for, the eternity we are waiting for, isn't actually in some distant future. Like way, way far away, way over there. But that's more, in, more immediate than we realize. Which means that what we're waiting for isn't to go somewhere, isn't to pass away from this place. What we're waiting for is to God to come and bring the thing he wants us to live in forever. But notice, I didn't say what we're waiting for is for God to build a new heaven and a new earth. But to bring it down. Now you might say again, Pastor, that's really technical. I don't think we need to be that technical, but before you say that, it's really important. Because what it means is that this new heaven and this new earth, I believe, from what Revelation says, already exists. It's already there. What John sees is a city fully built. 
Not like just brick and mortar, right? This is what it feels like. He says, what John sees is a city fully built, not just brick and mortar arriving on semi-trailers for some completion date. The transition is not from not existing city to existing city, but from invisible existing city to visible and existing, existing city. I can't talk. This city is what realtors will call move-in ready, as in it's ready for you to go. Everything is there. You can just move right on in, move all your stuff in. The rooms are there. The plumbing is there. Everything is there. All you got to do is move the furniture in, and you can get settled, and it'll take you maybe a week or two, that kind of a thing. My family, thanks be to God, I'll tell you, have the amazing privilege of buying a house. I'm a house owner, y'all. But interestingly, Christina and I, we are not just buying a house, we are building a house. Which means I have to spend eight hours in some place deciding whether this tile was better than this tile and whether this carpet was softer than that carpet. I had to do that. It was crazy. But right now, though I've bought a house, if you go to where my house is going to be, all it is is still a lot of dirt and like concrete slab. That's it. Which means that I can't move in yet. I got to wait. They got to build that thing first. And every little, every little while, I'll get an update. They'll be like, oh, today your walls went up. Oh, today your whatever went up. I don't know anything about building houses. Your drywall went up. Your plaster went up. Your roof went up. Oh, today you have plumbing. Today you have a bathroom. Today you have this. And they'll probably send me pictures and updates and be like, soon and soon and soon and soon, it'll be ready to move in. But it's going to take time. But this new city that God is bringing down, it's there, ready to move in. Which is why scripture tells us that Jesus can come anytime he wants. You won't know when he's coming. Because when he comes, he's bringing the new city down. It's ready to go. It's out there. Not in the future, but it's out there. Just in a place where we can't see it. It's out there almost pulling at us. And I think we can get this because of the way that we build our cities. Have you noticed in cities we build higher and higher. Grander and grander. That all of us, deep inside, I think we all know that there's something out there, something greater than all of this, and we're just trying to get to it somehow. Again, I quote Eugene Peterson. He says, heaven is not remote, either in time or space, but immediate. Heaven is not what we wait for, like until the rapture or where we go when we die, but heaven is what is barely out of the range of our senses. It's there in ways that I'm not exactly sure how, but it's there the new heaven and the new earth is accessible to us. I can have and taste a little bit of that. The kingdom, God's new kingdom is here, God says. Jesus says it's here. The kingdom of heaven is here, but just not quite yet here. We can taste it and experience it in little ways here, but just not quite fully yet. And I've said this before. At retreat, sometimes you get this. At retreats, you're like, oh, this must be what kind of heaven must be like, or heaven in the new earth, if we're saying. There was a, my friend Justin Wong, you might know him, he's a pastor at CBC. He put out a survey. I asked a lot of bunch of you guys to fill it out. He gave me the answers without the names, mostly. And I saw a lot of what you guys were wanting. And a lot of what you guys want in here, apparently, is unity. For us to be a community, to have no cliques, Right? The way it is maybe at retreats. One of you, I think, even said the way it is at expression. 
We want to be a community. We want to be a truly united one. We want to worship the way that we're meant to worship. And the question is, can we do so? And the answer to that is yes. Because the new city and the new heaven, it's there. It's pulling at us. It's ready for us. All we're doing is waiting for God to come down and bring it to us. So then we might ask, how? How are we going to get that? And pastor, why isn't it like that now? It's too much to go over, to go over the entire answer, but a couple quick things that I think we can know. One, what we've tasted is exactly that, just a taste. We've just, just tasted it. As I said, it's same, same, but different. Right? It's not quite there. But what we're getting at and things that we taste in little bits is actually what it will be. Then secondly, if we really want what we've tasted, then I think we have to choose to want it. A theologian says, Alas, all too often the church today is being run on the natural energies of this age rather than on the supernatural energy loosed by the resurrection of Jesus and the descent of the Holy Spirit. If we've lost our heavenly imagination, we would be disinclined to access by faith and prayer the heavenly energy from above. Basically what he's saying is, if you've tasted and you've seen the goodness, if you've tasted and you've seen what heaven or what earth and, and God's kingdom can be like at a retreat or somewhere, and you've tasted it, then are you choosing to run on that kind of energy, the thing you've tasted and seen, or are you choosing not to? For instance, we've all learned about Sabbath keeping. We've talked about it before, that Sabbath keeping is a key to living your life daily, of having God's energy and his rest in you so that it impacts the rest of your week. We've talked about it daily in here. Put all the other conflicting voices away on this one day. Why? Because it's on Sabbath that you get of God what you cannot get any of the other days. I've said it. Put your phones away. Put your homework away. Put your work away. Why? Not because we have rules, but because if you reserve the time and you don't allow the distractions to get at you, then you can actually taste and experience more and more of what we're meant to. That's why I tell you, chill out with the distractions. One of the common denominators that I see about when we are most united and living the kind of lives that we want to live is when we're at retreats. And the common denominator for me is that retreats, I do not let you have connection to social media, the internet, and or your phones. All you got is one another, creation, and God. That's why you actually become a community because all the other voices disappear and all you're focusing are the people. Everywhere I go, I have some other youth pastors here. And I go, and then, you know, other people are allowed to use their phones. And I go, oh. They go, why, you don't? And I go, no, I don't allow it. People always ask, and they don't care. And I was like, no, they love it. Because for three or four days, they can taste it. They can taste what community is supposed to be like. If you want that, because we can have it, because it's already there, then you have to choose to do it. Choose on Sundays to meet new people, to sit next to new people, to sit in a place different. Choose when I say get up and introduce yourself to somebody. Actually walk over and be like, yo, I have no idea who that person is over there. Do I sit in the same room with him every Sunday, week in and week out, and actually do it? Or maybe just get involved, right? Don't just say, like, our group is terrible or we're not connected and we don't ever do anything together. Like, I know it's difficult, but get involved. Have you made an effort? And I'm not telling you to make an effort because I've told you or you're guilty or you feel guilty. 
But you do it because you know that doing it will indeed lead to something greater. Because we've been told that we can have a taste of the eternity that we're supposed to have of the new heaven and the new earth. And if it's difficult, that's when you ask God to say, God, give me the strength to do it. If you want it, it's out there. You just got to take it and you got to grab it. If you're like, I don't get anything from Sunday service. All I do is fall asleep. Then I would ask you, what time did you sleep the last night? Some of you are on Snapchat till 5 a.m. I know because I'm friends with you on Snapchat. And you fall asleep and I go, huh, I wonder why. You were up till 5.30, but you got here at 8.30 because your mom comes early. You only got two hours of sleep. You're going to fall asleep no matter how entertaining I may be. I could be in here in monkey suit and jump around. You'll still fall asleep. If you can taste it and God says it's there and you can have access to some of it, will you then do what's necessary to do it? So heaven is not just a heaven. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven is not where we go, it is coming to us. Heaven is kind of like this place, but so utterly mind-blowingly different that we'll want it. It's like the best version of earth times a hundred bajillion thousand, whatever number that doesn't exist, because we don't quite get it. And lastly, the fourth myth. I forgot the fourth myth. Heaven isn't in the future, it's now, here. So let's finish with some questions that this raises, then we'll finish. First, pastor, cool, you debunk some myths. I think I kind of get maybe what heaven isn't like, but how do I know if this is true or not? Simple, Jesus. You may not like this answer, but it is the answer. Jesus says so. Because he's the only God who comes to us as one of us, who lives perfectly as one of us, dies, dies for us, and then raises from the dead. He's the only one that's ever done that. And because he's the only one that's ever done that, you can actually kind of trust that that may be true. Because remember, I told you the resurrection is a taste of what life is going to be like. Same, same, but different, and yet still same. You can see it, you can taste it, you can kind of grasp it, but you know it's going to be something utterly different. I keep telling you this. You are going to die one day. Sorry. But if you follow Jesus, death ain't got nothing on you. You're going to get right back up. You're going to be like, peace. I always say resurrection is the F you to death. And that's what it is. You ain't got nothing on me. Jesus, he allows us to taste bits and pieces and know that it's true. And because it's Jesus who makes the promises, he will keep the promises and it's true. Secondly then, how do we wait? First, we got to wait. We ain't got no choice. God's got to bring it. We can't get there. We can't, no matter how hard work, we're not going to get there. He's got to bring it. But as we wait, I think you wait by choosing God. The question of Revelation from the beginning to end is who will you choose? God or anything, everything, or something else? Choose God. Verse 4 says the old will pass away. But as we know, God never passes away. Choose him that which will not pass, that which will not end, that which will go on forever. And then lastly, briefly, do we really want heaven and the new earth? The new heaven and new earth, excuse me. As I invite the praise team up, 
we're going to answer this question as we go. And as I said, two weeks from today, we're going to really look at that question. But I'm confident with every fiber of my being that the answer to the question of whether you and I want the new heaven and the new earth, the new city that God is bringing down, is a defiant and triumphant yes. Why? Because if for nothing else, and trust me, there's more than just little, but if there's for nothing else, I want to be in a place where I don't hurt no more. I want to be in a place where my knees can't rupture when I'm playing basketball. I want to be in a place where little ones don't cry. I want to be in a place where no one has to worry whether they're loved or not. I want to be in a place where there is no suffering. I want to be in a place where it's joy, all joy, all the time where I was meant to do, where I will do the things that I was meant to do, not some shabby version of it because of the sin that entangles me. And if Jesus would come, live, die, and resurrect so that I can have it, I think, I think, I'm pretty sure it's worth it. So as we finish, the call is for us to say, Jesus, when you coming down, bro, I'm waiting for you. And as I wait, I will choose you all day, every day, over everything else, because nothing else compares. Heaven is coming. Thanks be to Jesus. But while we wait until he comes, we can taste bits and pieces of that eternal glory. And I pray and I hope that you and I will choose to taste it, choose to want it, and choose to have it, as much of it as we can have now. Because forever, we will have it in its fullness, and it's going to be freaking awesome. In other words that I don't know of, I'm sure there'll be other words that we could use. So ask yourself as we respond, is that what you're after? Or are you satisfied with the life that you live here and now? And as I said, God will give you that choice. If you're satisfied with this, he hurts, but he'll say okay. Or do you want something that's even just I can't even imagine? So take some time to think about that, and the praise team will lead us out.